From Johannesburg to Jerusalem, the world is always changing, growing and innovating. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he brings you the trendsetters, the thought leaders and those creating news before it happens. Only on the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish culture and current affairs show. Every Monday at 9 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the show on this Monday morning. Hope that you are doing great. You had a great weekend out there and that uh, it was nice and relaxed. Aren't you happy that you're not in Cape Town? Because it is, uh, <laughs> every single time I see someone in Cape Town, they actually, they look more and more like a snowman. I think they're having the most hectic time with the weather there. And it was actually lovely and beautiful up here in Johannesburg. So that is absolutely fantastic and always great to be part of our fantastic city. Um, what can I ask you and tell you about today for our show? Well, we have later on. As we always do, going to be talking to Rob Hutchinson. He's from Dear South Africa, and he joins us every single week to talk about what is going on in Parliament, what are the bills that are up for debate, up for comment, that you can put your word in on. So we're going to be talking to him about that. And uh, we're also going to be talking about this new show on, I don't know if it's SABC or Showmax or if it's actually on Netflix or something, but everyone has been raving about it, about uh, the early life of Shaka. And we're going to be finding out what is the Jewish connection to King Shaka of the Zulus. Uh, if you didn't think that that existed, you will learn that it in fact does. So we're going to be finding out about that. But to start off with, I thought we would look into likely and possible scenarios for the upcoming elections next year. If you weren't aware of it. We have elections coming up in about a year. Uh, it's not exactly sure what the date is. The government has to sort of do it every four to five years, and uh, there's like a certain time period. So basically that time period starts in about uh, sometime next year, from about April, uh, next sort of few months after that. So we are expecting the announcement of an election, and... Already election season is starting to proceed forth with pace, even though it's not officially on the cards. We're starting to see things being done by politicians in a, and election machines to, to really get people into position for what might occur. Already we're starting to get an idea about what are the contours of what this election might hold for South Africa. So let's start at the national level. And then we will go down to the provincial level. So the national level, last time round that there was a national election, remember we have national and local government elections. So we had a local government election last year. Um, and in this election, it's going to be a national one. In the last national election, the ANC got 57% of the vote. So that's that's obviously above the majority, but it's starting to skate very thinly on, on – uh, on, on, on slightly more than that. And if you start looking at some of the polling data, and obviously this is just now uh, in, in the beginning of, the t of time, but uh, things could change within a year, depending on all sorts of things like load shedding and whatnot. What, you, what you're seeing is that 
there's sort of three scenarios that are potentially playing out. If the ANC has a catastrophic breakdown in its vote, it will end up with about 45% of the vote. If it doesn't, uh, it may, uh, it certainly looks like it's dropping anyway, so it will end up being just over 50% of the vote. Uh, and so far, the most likely scenario, it seems, is that it will fall somewhere in between that, so somewhere between sort of 45 and 50. Now, this will be really important because it will be the first time since uh, the liberation of South Africa, since the new South Africa, that the ANC would have got less than half the vote. And so it will have to form coalitions with somebody. Now, who it forms coalitions with will depend on how badly it does. If it does reasonably well, uh, it doesn't have to form a coalition, obviously, then that's just 50%. But if it gets, say, 48%, then it will have to look around for, for smaller parties, uh, like it's done in some other places, that can help prop it up. So uh, groups like the African Independent Congress, maybe the PAC, maybe the UDM, maybe... Uh, who knows, one, any one of these other small rats and mice parties who may be prepared to go into coalition with the ANZ for <clears throat> a certain seat. But what that will signal, should the ANC go below 50%, is that the election that we have in 2029, uh, that it will be way below that number. And so forces inside the ANC who want to stay in power will have to start deciding if it's going to stick with it or if they're going to break away and start to do their own thing for their own survival. So one of these, I'm sure, will be uh, groups like the SACP, who have been threatening to go at themselves for a long time, Kosatu, who have been threatening to go it alone, other parts of the ANC that might be more reform-minded. People will start to realize that to stay in power, they're going to have to change their mind. So that is the one possible scenario. If the ANC starts to go any lower than that, then they're going to need to start to look around for bigger partners to uh, go with. And basically that then becomes a choice between the DA and the EFF. Now, I'm sure that uh, the idea of the EFF and the ANC running things together would make a lot of people very uh, uncomfortable. And, and indeed, it's very interesting that the polls are not showing a big increase in in, in EFF support, uh, in, in general in the elections, that they're, uh, uh, they're still, uh, um, quite low, uh, and, and that they, they're not seen as growing all that much just because their brand is so angry. So, it, it doesn't look like they're necessarily growing, grow all that much. But the ANC also is concerned about the EFF because they're much more ideological than much more of a nimble party. And they also are made up of former ANC people, so they know a lot of how the organization works. So there may actually be uh, in the ANC's mind a incentive not to go with the EFF and maybe not to go with the DA either, but to rather do some sort of contract where where they will agree to do certain things uh, and then stay in power. But uh, so, for example, maybe the DA would say, look, we'll vote for you from outside. We're not going to be part of the party. But in order to do that, we want you to, I don't know, say, repeal BEE, for example, uh, as something. So that could be the kind of, of thing that we start to see. So that is on the national level. Uh, and what we're going to do after the break is that we're going to talk about what this means at a provincial level and where things go from there. 
I'm Benji Shulman, and this is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Chai FM. So we're talking about the elections. What are some of the scenarios that may play out? And at the national level, there's a discussion about what the coalition may look like, if there's going to be a coalition, and what that will be at a national level. But one of the things that we are likely to see going into next elections is a change in the provincial leadership. Very interesting article in the Sunday Times this weekend about the electoral strategy of Pinyaza Lusufi, who is the premier of uh, Gauteng. He's also connected to the ANC. He's also probably the most popular regional politician, certainly in Gauteng and uh, in, in sort of outside of national politics of the ANC. And he has a problem. And this problem is the following, is that in the last election, the ANC got 50.1% of the vote in Gauteng. In other words, they just hung on. And if you took the local government elections from last year, uh, although that, and you just looked at the math, obviously it didn't make any difference because it was just for the voting for the cities, not for the province. But um, if you look at that, then you will see that he got, that he got percentage of the vote uh, uh, got 36%. And again, the EFF, I think, got got around 10% of the vote in Kharteng, slightly more, maybe 12. So that means that the ANC and the EFF are both uh, together, would not be able to run Kharteng had the the province been up for grabs uh, in the the local government elections. And so it's going to be a very interesting thing to see because – in order for Pinyaza Lasufi to run properly and uh, create a, a government, he's going to need to stay in power. But that, that but the, the urban vote is disappearing from the ANC at a rate of knots. And so what you're seeing is he's putting together lots and lots of initiatives, funny enough, actually copied from a lot of them from the Western Cape, to try and shore up the vote in constituencies that might vote for him uh, uh, that maybe we're starting to feel a little bit frustrated. So, for example, we're seeing these so-called police wardens uh, about uh, being employed by the state, uh, solar panel installers, another one. Uh, he's put together a few thousand of those. Then he he promised some sort of jobs in Darba. All of this is aimed at trying to find a way uh, to shore up the vote amongst young people, amongst uh, working-class South Africans in Gauteng, uh, and and to address unemployment and it's, and if he succeeds it's going to be absolutely crucial for the ANC because essentially we know that the the Western Cape will still be in opposition hands there's a question around if some of these other smaller opposition parties like the the Patriotic Alliance or something like that will put the the DA under pressure and if so how much so that's a, a big issue uh, for them but essentially there's no chance of the ANC running the Western Cape Ever again, essentially, and in in KZN, the 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 Carter Freedom Party, the IFP, has been repeatedly pulling votes off of them in by elections all over the place, and so what you're starting to see is a potential scenario where the Western Cape would be in opposition hands, the KZN would be in opposition hands run by the IFP, and potentially. Uh, Gauteng would be in opposition hands as well, and even the Northern Cape. 
which would mean that essentially where the ANC would govern would be Limpopo, would be Mpumalanga, it would be the Eastern Cape, and it would probably be on a knife's edge in the free state as well. And this has all sorts of implications for two reasons. First of all, should the ANC get kicked out of Gauteng, it, it takes two things away from them. First of all, their sort of most urban and, and sometimes talented set of politicians, uh, often their loudest and most interesting people, come from Gauteng, and they would be sort of taken out of the spotlight, number one. And number two, the ANC uses uh, the huge financial muscle of uh, Gauteng to, uh, to, to try and project uh, power and to, and to keep people in line using money. And once that disappears, a lot of their cards that they have to play will disappear with them. And it is uh, going to be crucial to see whether the Sufi can pull off this feat to keep himself in power in Gauteng. Uh, and if he can't, then uh, 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 it very, may very well unravel the ability of the ANC even to run these metros that we've seen uh, in in Johannesburg, for example. Uh, that That's all being run because there's uh, some sort of coordination that can happen with the province. So that will be a very, very crucial change should we see it. And uh, and the other thing that it's going to do is slow down, uh, and we'll be talking about this with Rob Hutchinson later on, but slow down some of these very problematic um, uh, bills that we're seeing, like NHI, which is basically unimplementable as it stands, but could do a lot of damage. And and essentially what that would mean is that it would make the ANC's life much more difficult because they're not in, a, not in completely control of the national Assembly, where a lot of parliamentary stuff takes place, but also it then has to go to the Council of Provinces, and if you're not completely in the majority there, then everything has to be negotiated. So it becomes a lot more difficult to get certain things through. I think it will also make life, uh, if you think that South African politics is Byzantine and, and complicated at the moment, it will become sort of even more so. But ultimately, it will also start to represent really the wishes of the voters in the way that it is supposed to do. Uh, and I think that that will be a very interesting uh, and, and important dynamic as we go forward. But it's only going to be so if people vote. And so it's going to be really, really crucial when voting time comes in a year that people do get out there, that they do vote, uh, and that we do start to see some big change which is coming in South Africa. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. And I have to say, that was the perfect transition song, thank you, Craig, for uh, our next uh, discussion, because that was One Man, One Vote by Johnny Craig and Shavuka talking about our politics section, and then moving on to our Zulu section. So it was n- could not possibly have been better put, I have to say. So... A lot of people very excited about this new program on uh, Mzanzi Magic called Shaka Ilembe, which is about the early life of King Shaka. And if you ever watched that um, early movie of of King Shaka that was done uh, probably in the 80s already, you, you'll know kind of what it's all about. But did you know that King Shaka had a Jewish connection? Uh, which might be surprised. No, no, no. He wasn't, uh, didn't have a bomb, couldn't got anyone's bar mitzvah. But he was friends with one Nathaniel Isaacs, born 1808 uh, and died 1872. He was a South African trader and explorer and one of the early 
uh, Europeans and Brits to come to Natal. And he left a record of his visit to the kraal of, of, of the Zulu kings of Chaka and Dingaan and wrote a book called Travels and Adventures in Eastern Africa, which is an important uh, contemporary account of Zulu life and customs. Isaacs was the nephew of Saul Solomon, uh, who was a merchant in St. Helena, uh, that's the island, and he was sent from England at age 14 to join his uncle's counting house. Now, in 1825, he befriended J.S. King, who was the commander of uh, the, the the brig Mary, or the boat, ship, and, uh, that accom- and he accompanied him to Port Natal. And there he decided to explore the interior. And his party reached the Royal Kraal of Sharka some 130 miles inland. So it's about 250 kilometers. And he was received by the monarch who already was aware of, of King. Now, Isaacs observed all of the, the life of the Zulus at um, close quarters and was able to describe the rule of Shaka, which, uh, as we well know, was uh, often fairly brutal. And he, uh, and he traded ivory and even went with the Zulus in an expedition against the Swazis. Uh, and he was actually wounded in, uh, in, in that battle. And he was given the name Tambusa, which means brave Warriors, and he was granted a concession of land um, in what is now Durban, which he then uh, later on gave to H. F. Finn, who was another uh, sort of uh, British guy from Natal. And much of our knowledge of King Shaka actually derives from what we know uh, from him uh, that we actually know. After um, after Shaka's assassination by Dingaan, um, Isaac's urged that the Cape government actually turn Natal into a colony. And bear in mind, he was only 20 at the time. He spent two more years in Natal, where he trained uh, various uh, Zulus in cultivation and cattle raising. And in 1831, he returned to England and uh, then to West Africa, where he died trading in Guinea and Sierra Leone. And you can actually find here uh, the, the 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 treaty that he signed with Shaka giving him the land still exists and you can actually um you you can actually read it to this day which is kind of fascinating and so I thought I would read it for you uh today and um just so you can get a sense of the time because it's uh, so fascinating okay so it says here at che- at Chaka principal residence Tuguso near River Magati. Now, interestingly, the way that they spell Chaka is not with an S like we do today, but with a T, it's T-C-H, which is kind of interesting. And it says here, I, Chaka King, protector of the Zulus, spelled Z-O-O-L-O-O, do hereby create in the presence of my principal chiefs and strangers assembled my friend, Mr. Nathaniel Isaacs, Nduna Inkula, or principal chief of Natal, and do grant and make over to him, his heirs or executors, a free and full possession of my territory from the Umlaz River westward of Natal to the Umshloti east of Natal, with a hundred miles inland from the sea, including the Bay of Natal, the islands of the bay, the forests, the rivers between the boundaries here enumerated. I also make over to him the people he now has in his service together with the Maluban tribe. I grant him a free and exclusive right to traffic with my nation and all people 
tributary to the Zulus. So does the powerful king Shaka of the Zulus recompense Mr. Nathaniel Isaacs for his services returned to him to subdue the Batia in Goma for presents received uh, from him and the great attention to my people in the mission sent with him and Captain King to conclude alliance with his uh, with his Britannic Majesty. All this and former gifts I do confirm, wishing peace and friendship I sign myself his, and then it's got here, Shaka put an X uh, with a mark, and then John Jacob, hot uh, interpreter, and it's got there in the language of the time, uh, um, John Jacob is uh, what we would now call a San, but it's called there, uh, a Hottentot who was the interpreter. Um, so that's absolutely uh, fascinating to see that this was uh, something that was taking place. Obviously, Shaka didn't write it like that because he didn't speak English or write for that matter. Uh, but clearly they sort of had an agreement uh, that he would take this area uh, for, for helping the king out in his wars. Uh, so there we go. If you wanted to know about how we know about King Shaka, it was thanks to a Jewish explorer called Nathaniel Isaacs.